Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God Most High, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me, Selah. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. Those are the first three verses of Psalm 57, which along with Psalm 56 and 58 are the psalms appointed for today, Monday, June the 6th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. I appreciate it. We are um, continuing, well, we're not continuing anything, actually. We're, we're back in the book of Ecclesiastes, which is also known as the Wisdom of Ben Sirah. Um, and so that's in the Apocrypha. And so we're in chapter 7, verses 1 to 14 there today. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes for the rest of the week. The links to the um, lessons are over on the anchor.fm webpage. Uh, also, we're going to be in the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 15, verses 21 to 28, and um, the epistle of Paul to the Galatians, chapter 4, verses 12 through 20. So... Um, I want to explain something about the way that I go about these. I don't know that I've ever explained it. If it has, it's been a long time. So um, what I learned in, in college was, this, not in college, sorry, in seminary, was is the, uh, the way that, the, that a lot of seminary professors, at least, approach the lectionary, uh, the, the, the lessons that are given for any given day, is that the, the epistle— actually kind of ties everything together the theological principles and the applications come come there and so it's sort of an experiment to me actually it'd been a, you know a long-term experiment for me was to look at it that way and treat the lessons in that way and so that's the reason that even though if you were in an Anglican church what you would hear is is you would hear the Old Testament or Apocrypha reading first and then the epistle and then the gospel like I said I, I just found it fascinating that they said that was the way it's supposed to work. So that's the way I've tried to use the lessons throughout pretty much all of my ministry. Um, although I, I end up spending probably less time talking about um, the epistle. But the main reason for that is is, is that I, I think I've already, hopefully I will have already covered all the ground by the time I get to uh, to the epistle. So that's the reason I do it the way I do. And so then the Ecclesiastes um lesson it, it's it, it is similar to proverbs for instance <clears throat> do no evil and evil will never befall you that's that seems like a strange and strong promise of um a, a, that i'm not quite sure <laughs> about that I, I, it'd be hard for me to know though because I, I can say i cannot say that i've never done evil but anyway do no evil and evil will never befall you stay away from wrong and it will turn away from you my son, do not sow the furrows of injustice, and you will not reap a sevenfold crop. Do not seek from the Lord the highest office, nor the seat of honor from the king. And that's very similar to the things Jesus will say when he says things like, um, don't take the best seat at the banquet, sit someplace you know, further away from the, from the head table, and then let them be bringing you up rather than the other way around you taking a, a seat and then they find somebody there who is more important than you and move you down so don't seek those things and that is um it's good advice certainly it, it puts you in in better places it's it this life is not all there is and so seeking those positions are not the way we're supposed to be we're we're, we're intended just to to live our lives and let the chips fall 
Do not assert your righteousness before the Lord. That seems axiomatic, and it seems almost silly to even say it, but I bet you've done it. I bet I have too, because what we do is we tend to justify ourselves. Even before the Lord, we will tend to justify ourselves because we'll look and think, well, why is that person getting this? I'm, I'm, I'm certainly a more righteous person than that person. So um, don't assert your righteousness before the Lord or display your wisdom before the king. Do not seek to become a judge, lest you be unable to remove iniquity, lest you be partial to a powerful man and thus put a blot on your integrity. Do not offend against the public and do not disgrace yourself among the people. These are all certainly great, great advice. You know, just, just let your talents take you where they will take you. Don't set your sights on all these things. And, and it is. Uh, it's interesting to see all the corruption in, in political life, but also I've seen it certainly when in my business career, I certainly saw dishonesty and, and fudging things um, by people to get position and power and money. Do not commit a sin twice. Even for one, you will not go unpunished. In other words, you know, when you commit a sin, be quick to repent of that. And repent means I'm not going to do it again. It means turning in another direction, seeing sin for what it is. Don't say he'll consider the multitude of my gifts, and when I make an offering to the Most High God, he will accept it. God's not like that. He doesn't accept bribes. <laughs> That's not the issue. The issue is are you giving with a, with a generous heart and a thankful heart for all that you've received, whether that be lots or whether it be a meager amount. We're to be thankful for everything we receive because it all comes from him. He gave us the ability to get everything that we have. And so it, but, but he doesn't operate on the principle of the more I give, the more I get. Don't be faint-hearted in your prayer, nor neglect to give alms. In other words, persevere. Persevere in prayer. Believe when you persevere in prayer. And, and the giving of alms is the, is the giving of charity. Do not ridicule a man who is bitter in soul, for there's one who abases and exalts. And certainly that can be a temptation to people. Uh, you know, social media has become like the bane of most people's existence. And, and you can see that when somebody that they don't like on whichever side they're on um, suffers some misfortune, um, people are quick to pile on. And, and it's so easy to do that when it's somebody that you disagree with on things and, and who perhaps is an unlikable person to start with and has done heinous things. But, but he says, don't ridicule a man who's bitter in soul, for there's one who abases and exalts. That's all up to God. It might be you tomorrow. Do not devise a lie against your brother, nor do the like to a friend. Refuse to utter any lie, for the habit of lying never serves good. Do not prattle in the assembly of the elders, nor repeat yourself in prayer. And that's exactly what Jesus advises. That's when he says, you know, go in your closet and pray. Don't make loud, long prayers like the Gentiles, where you just go on and on and on. No, make your point and move on. So in the in the gospel lesson today, and now that I, I probably shouldn't have chosen today in some ways to make the point about why I look at the lessons the way I do, because with wisdom literature, it's a little harder because there are many points made in there. It has that all that has to do. All those things have to do with be a person of integrity. You know, that's the most important thing. It's the one thing that you have. Be a person of integrity and be a person of faith. So Jesus goes away and withdraws to the district of Tyre and Sidon. So he's gone outside the land. He's trying to get his disciples and him outside the land to, to sort of, everybody needs a break in ministry from time to time because you get overwhelmed with it. I mean, you just frankly do. 
So Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he didn't answer her a word. I mean, she's making a she's making huge statements here. This is a Canaanite woman, so she's not a Jew by any stretch of the imagination, but apparently his fame has increased, and it's gone out even to the land of Tyre and Sidon. And, and when she sees him, she refers to him as, as, as Lord and Son of David. Those are interesting statements for a Canaanite woman to make. She's making large statements of faith here. Um, we don't know anything more about her, but these are interesting titles that she's using for Jesus, Lord and Son of David. Son of David is a, a very specifically Jewish statement, so it's odd that she would have used that, but, but at the same time, she believes clearly that this one has come here and is able to do anything, including to release her daughter from this demon. The disciples came and begged him, saying, send her away, for she's crying out after us. I mean, this is getting embarrassing, is what they're, they're basically saying. You know, she's not going to shut up. And it fits with Jesus' story about the persistent widow, right? Because it, it sounds very much like that, that the judge won't give her justice but for, for justice's sake, but because she's a pest, and she demands justice. And he's comparing that to God and his response to our persistent prayers, and so here, that's exactly what you see is, is this woman is persisting and, and, and hounding them. In, in other words, she really believes that the big moment has come. Her, the possibility of her child receiving healing from this Jewish man that she's recognizing with Jewish terms. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Well, that's an interesting statement. <laughs> because certainly when he went to the land of Garis, the Gerasenes and healed the man there who was beset by, by the legion of demons, he was not in the—those weren't—that man wasn't the lost sheep of Israel. He was, he was pagan in the same way this woman was pagan. So when Jesus says this, he, he's, he's prompting some things with his disciples here, and that has to do with the prejudice that, that they felt— towards these people. They, they don't want her healed because, or her daughter healed because, well, she's worthy in any shape, form, or fashion, like they did with the, um, with the centurion when they came in, the, not the disciples, but the people there said, the Jewish leaders said, you know, he's worthy for you to heal him for one reason, and that is because he's done a lot for us. He's been good to the nation, and he gave us our synagogue here. And so here, there, there's no claim to worthiness. It's just like, it's just embarrassing. You know, they don't, they don't believe that she deserves Jesus to do anything for her. That's not, that's not their argument at all. It's just simply she won't shut up and she won't go away. So she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. And it's, it's that same uh, posture of worship that the Gerasene demoniac has. He comes and kneels before Jesus, bows down, recognizes him for what he is. And again, she says, Lord, help me. I mean, you just imagine the this woman whose, whose daughter's been beset by this demon. You can imagine her, her desperation, same kind of desperation the woman with the issue of blood had at the same time. And this is my last hope. And he answered, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. And he's in this statement 
it's deeply, deeply offensive because he's referring to her as the dogs, but it's exposing, again, the, the beliefs of many Jewish people and, and quite possibly the disciples even. This is a, a cringeworthy moment when he says this because it, it, it exposes possibly the, the thoughts that you have. When I was in Rwanda in, I can't think, I think it was in 99, the first time that we went, um, a bishop there. Josia, he wasn't a bishop at the time. He was a provincial secretary, but then he became a bishop. His name Josias Senegaya. We were down in Butari, which is sort of the intellectual capital of Rwanda. It's where the university, main university was, and also the, the Museum of Rwandan History and all this other stuff. And so we were there, and that's where Josias had grown up. And, and he pointed to a place and, and said, can we go there for lunch? And I said, that'd be great. So we went to this restaurant. And the reason he wanted to go there was because under Belgian rule, when he was a kid, there was a sign there that said no black dogs allowed here and had nothing to do with black Labrador retrievers. It had to do with the black people. This was a this was a restaurant for whites only. And so every time I read this about when Jesus says that it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs, I'm reminded of Josias telling me that story and the delight that he took in all of us going there and having lunch that day, sort of righting the wrongs. And so that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. He's exposing that attitude that he knows exist, and we know it exists too because they had that same prejudice against the Samaritans. It's the reason he tells the story of the Good Samaritan, the parable of the Good Samaritan, is because nobody, and the, and the lawyer won't answer him when he says, who did, who did, who was the neighbor here? And he says, I suppose the one who was, who did good, which didn't have anything to do with, well, the Samaritan, you know, which would have been the easy answer. And so that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. And she said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. So she's, she's willing to go even further than that. Um, she's, she's willing to plead and beg for her child because she's that desperate, and she believes that Jesus can do something. And then Jesus answered her, Oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And you can hear the tenderness in that. You, you can just almost see the tears in Jesus' eyes when she says that. You can just imagine that, the way he feels about this woman, because she shows such great faith. And such great persistence. And in the same way that we, we see in that first lesson from Ecclesiasticus, where it says, don't be faint-hearted in your prayers. And this woman has certainly not been faint-hearted in her prayers. She's persevered. Even if she's personally offended and rejected, doesn't matter to her. Nope. There's something more important, and it's possible that Jesus can do something about it. And so she's also exalted him so much. I'm just asking for crumbs here. For what you're able to do, th- this is crumbs. And so her daughter was healed instantly. Matthew tells us. In the epistle, Paul says, Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. And what he's speaking of here is, is that he's writing to a Gentile audience. And so when he says, I've become as you are, what he means is, I, I'm like you. I, I used to believe that I was saved by being Jewish and by being all this stuff in, in the same way that Jesus is speaking to this woman. He says, I, I don't think the way I used to about Gentiles. I don't think that way anymore because I recognize that I'm only saved by faith in Jesus Christ. So I've become like you. And there would be an element of condescension in that in some ways, except for the fact that that Paul is very clear in every bit of his writing that they're no longer Jew or Gentile. Uh, And so here he says, I entreat you become as I am, which is not a Jew. That's not what he's saying and is definitely not what he's saying to the Galatians because that's the, argu- that's the whole argument of the book of the Galatians is there are these people who have come among you and they've preached a false gospel, a gospel that's based on you becoming circumcised when it has no value at all because only faith in Jesus has value. So he's saying, become as I am, I, as I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. 
You know, it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. So it's obviously Paul hadn't intended to be in Galatia, but but some physical problem prevented him going on at the time he was there. And so the Lord made the opportunity through the physical weakness of Paul for him to preach the gospel. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as angel of God, as Christ Jesus. I mean, you received me like you would receive Jesus. It's assumed that they would have heard of Paul because Paul was was doing these missionary journeys, and it surely had to have gotten out in surrounding um, places that this guy Paul was here preaching this gospel of salvation and eternal life in the name of this Jesus person. So he says, you received me like you would have received Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? Because he, he's, his argument in all of Galatians is, these others have come upon you, and they've begun to preach this other gospel, which is no gospel at all. And he'll say things like, who has bewitched you, you foolish Galatians? I mean, he's really angry because they've reverted to a, a, an earlier form that's been surpassed in the death of Jesus. And, and he's concerned that they're throwing away their salvation in the same way that the writer of Hebrews is concerned they're throwing away their salvation to go back to something else. He says, I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me, which which we believe gives us a, a clue and an insight into what was this physical condition that Paul had, that, it, that there was some weakness in his eyesight, because why else would they have gouged out their eyes to give to him if his condition didn't relate in some way to his eyesight. He said, have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? I mean, he is really upset with this other group of people, and, and apparently the people in Galatia have bought into it, and they have second-guessed Paul's message of salvation through faith in Jesus and said, oh, well, now we've been told that we have to do these other things in order to be saved. And, and Paul's, that if you want to infuriate Paul, that's the way to do it. Say, nope, it's Jesus plus these things. He says, they make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that they, that you may make much of them. In other words, you're going to lose your salvation. You're going to lose what you got if you believe these lies these people are telling you. And they do it so that you'll make a lot of them. You'll, you'll make much of them. You'll, you'll think highly of them. So they're, they're just using you for your, their own ends. It's always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I'm present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I'm perplexed about you. And Paul really is concerned about them. They're, they're that important to him. In the same way that, that you can see Jesus' concern for this um, Syrophoenician woman, Canaanite woman, you can see that same thing in, in the way that he deals with her. She's made extraordinary professions of faith. I mean, she's called him by all the right terms and, and then has also then believed that he can do something about that situation, and he does. And, and here Paul's saying, look, I became like you. I, 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 the Everything got flattened in Jesus, that there's no distinction, there's no benefit to me having been a Jew, uh, except for that's what God wanted, and there's no benefit to not being a Jew. But, but don't take these other things on. Be, be uh, persistent in your faith. Reject the lies. You know, and, and it's hard when you know people have been filled with the Holy Spirit to see them believing lies and, and being led astray, and, and Paul is 
desperate for these people because he loves them. It's important to him that the churches that he raised up persevere in every way. He, he wants to see them persevere in truth. That's the most important thing. He doesn't want his work to have been done in vain. It's important that he does this. And he didn't accept position, didn't seek position for himself. He, like Jesus, sought to be a servant of all. It's important that we keep the main thing the main thing. And Paul says, you're not doing that. You've lost sight of the reality. Either the gospel of salvation through faith in Christ is the main thing, and it's the only thing, or or it's nothing at all. And when you've taken on these other things, you've said it's nothing, and I'm afraid you're in danger of losing what you've gained. And he said, he said, I'm, I'm still in the, ang- I'm again in the anguish of childbirth for you, because Christ hasn't been formed in you. If He has, then you would reject these people out of hand.